Paige and I cooked up this plan um, to create an event called Open for Play, which was linked to, is linked to, the London Open House weekend. And indeed, our original vision was that there would be Open for Plays happening all over the world. Not this year, but maybe next year. Um, uh, we thought we might get something flying in New York, but didn't quite, don't think it quite came off. But anyhow, be that as it may, it struck me how much more lively and vibrant and high profile the question of children's outdoor play, children's relationship to the people and places and, and children's engagement and experiences in the built environment are than they were, say, five or ten years ago. And to just give you one example, um, I remember about seven or eight years ago having a conversation with Dee Burkett, um, a, a journalist, um, amongst other things, she is the founder and kind of proprietor of the um, uh, Kids in Museums Award. So this is you know, the award for child-friendly museums. And I was talking to her about whether we could run some kind of you know, playgrounds award. And we quickly realised uh, back in about 2002, 2003, that there wouldn't be much point because we couldn't think of any playgrounds that we knew of that we would really want... You know, we just didn't think there was enough of a pool of interesting playgrounds to enter into a national competition. In fact, I, mean, I don't claim a comprehensive knowledge of playgrounds, but probably the only one that, 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 that came to my head at the time was um, the Diana Playground, which some of you will know, which Jeanette um, had a strong hand in. That's uh, in Kensington Gardens. And for, for quite a few years, strange with Diana because it was, it was almost a problem, Diana, because it was so wonderful but also so, you know, such a lavish and expensive project that it was quite hard to use it as a, as a precedent or a case study when, you know, given the low base with which certainly most um, commissioners, most local authorities, most schools um, were starting from. And now, um, oh, and, and also, you know, back in, in the sort of early 2000s, you know, Glamis Adventure Playground was closed. Um, it was a, just a derelict site. Um, EC1, the area around EC1, was, was just this fractured, broken, run-down, grey, city grey area. Um, of course, the Olympics were just a, you know, I don't even know if anybody was even talking about the Olympics. In fact, I have a vague memory. I, I lived in East London for about 20 years of somebody, uh, somebody suggesting that it might be an idea to, to bid for the Olympics in the Lower Lee Valley in Hackney. And, and some wag joking how um, there might be some confusion around the use of starting pistols because of the background noise that you get in the mean streets of Hackney Wick. Um, so it kind of shows you how we've moved on in a number of respects. But we're now at the point where the, uh, the first site that will be opened when the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park is reopened in July, July next year... Jeanette has a slight worry when we mention this. That, uh, the first site that will be open will be the North Park, and at the, 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 at the beating heart of the North Park is the playground um, and hub area that Jeanette is going to talk to you about later on. So, uh, and, you know, and looking at EC1, it's, it's a transformed part of London, and not just physically, but the, the feel of the place, the vibrancy. We've got... Uh, you know, street food um, from all over the world, um, glorious parks, uh, and for my money anyway, some of the most, um, some of the best demonstrations of the different ways that you can create what we might call playable space 
um, in, in the urban fabric that, that I think I've seen anywhere in the world. So um, I hope that's whet your appetite. Um, and to sort of frame the rest of the conversation, um, I'm going to finish by just giving you, I think it's five quotes. Um, and they just seem to hang together, really. So here they are. Um, it's a very simple one. Um, Buckminster Fuller, if you want to do something nice for children, give them an environment where they can touch things as much as they want. Um, like many quotes, it, that, or quotes that I like, it, you can follow it up in a number of directions, but one of the things that struck me reading it today and, and in a room where there's quite a lot of landscape architects and, uh, in the room is you know, the point about touch. Um, and, and one of the differences between playgrounds and most other parts of the built environment is that we, we care about what they look like, we want them to look beautiful, but, but what really makes playgrounds come alive is the, the other senses that children can use when they're in a playground. And, and in a way, the, sen the, the visual sense can be a distraction, I think, for designers and for adults because it can seduce us into thinking certain things about playgrounds or playful places um, and, and, and we can forget about the other senses by which children um, more um, deeply and meaningfully engage with not just playgrounds but the whole of the, the environment around them. So that's the first quote and that was um, thanks to Simon Bloor um, who's one of the people who follows my Facebook page for that quote. I promise to give due credit for these. Um, this second quote, uh, I'm breaking all the rules of PowerPoint, of course, um, but I want you to read the, the quote. So there you go. Um, I'm convinced that standardized playgrounds are dangerous just in another way. When the distance between all the rungs in a climbing net or a ladder is exactly the same, the child has no need to concentrate on when he puts his feet. Play becomes simplified and the child does not have to worry about his movements. This lesson cannot be carried over to all the knobbly and asymmetrical forms with, it, with which one is confronted throughout life. It's astonishing to me that Hele, whose you know, first language is Danish, um, uh, would come up with that quote. Um, just a quick show of hands. Um, it was anybody else, actually I know at least one person in here who was in the room when Hele spoke in Portsmouth, Bernard, was it 10 years ago? Oh, was it? 13. 13 years ago. 1999. Um, and she's a friend, I'll be honest. I think she's a genius um, and an artist. But it's just, uh, I say, one of the things that I, that I found myself doing this evening was, was doing a little bit of archaeology, of, of sort of constructing a personal history. And for me, that hearing that talk and seeing her images and um, her ideas was a kind of point of departure, a strong point of departure. And she remains... And, and some of us in the room, if we, uh, even if we weren't there, have been over to see her public spaces in Copenhagen and, um, and again, drawn further inspiration from those. And risk and taking a thoughtful and balanced approach to risk is one of the backdrops. I think that you'll, it may not be explicit, but you, I think you'll see it running through um, or popping up now and again through this evening. Um, third quote, this is, this is so long it wouldn't even fit on one slide, um, and somewhere in the room there's probably a Jane Jacobs klaxon going off because I know some urbanists have practically prohibited um, uh, reference to her work, not be, you know, just because it's become 
allegedly amongst certain circles a bit uh, over-familiar. But for me, reading The Death and Life of Great American Cities was another revelatory moment. Um, welcome, Noel. <laughs> Fashionably late, as ever. <laughs> um, uh, so I'll read the quote. Uh, in, uh, in, in real life, only from the ordinary adults of the city sidewalks do children learn, if they learn it at all, the first fundamental of successful city life that people must take a modicum of public responsibility for each other even if they have no ties with each other. And then she goes on to say, and in a way she rams the point home, this is a lesson nobody learns by being told. It is learnt from the experience of having other people without ties of kinship or close friendship or formal responsibility to you take a modicum of responsibility for you. So what she's getting out there is this idea of, of, of reciprocity. Of, of what, what being an engaged and reflective and responsible and caring citizen in a city means. And that children only learn to become such a person if they're given, um, freely given, opportunities to experience quite particular social interactions. And of course for her, the, the, the sort of preeminent place where those social situations, social interactions happened was the street. Now, I think for most of us, uh, and in most parts of London, let alone anywhere else, we know that's not happening anymore. There are some exceptions, and we might talk a bit more about streets at some point, but by and large, streets don't have that role. So for me, that quote raises the question. I think it's a powerful argument. The question is, where do those, inter where do those interactions happen now? Um, and I think it's a question we've completely failed we adults have completely failed to take seriously. And it's a, it's, it's a question with some really important lessons about play space, and, uh, as in spaces where children play. Um, and uh, I think it's my fourth quote. I've lost, I've lost count. Um, yes. Um, so this is Bob Pyle. Um, a, a ditch somewhere, he says, or a creek, a meadow, a woodlot, or a marsh. These are places of initiation where the borders between ourselves and other creatures break down, where the earth gets under our nails and a sense of place gets under our skin. Everybody has a ditch, or ought to. For only the ditches and the fields, the woods, the ravines can teach us to care enough for all the land. Um, I was fortunate enough to meet Bob Pyle a few years ago. He's, um, apart from anything else, he's a beautiful wordsmith. The way he, he crafts words is, is a delight. Um, but you can see some, um, the, that quote is pointing towards ideas about reconnecting children with nature. Um, and again, I think, I think you'll see some threads, I'm sure you'll see some uh, points this evening where that idea is revisited and explored. Um, and that, I, that notion of, 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 of children and nature and public space is not without its problems. Um, there, there are some of us in the room who you know, feel that, that the idea's been, been watered down, um, distorted, bastardised, um, call it what you will, and, and that might be a, a subject of conversation as well. But I think what Bob Pyle is getting out there is, is you know, meet the, or again, he's asking a question. Does it matter? Should it matter for children to care for all the land? And if it does matter, and I think most of us in the room would agree that it does, how how can we get that to happen? And what kind of experiences um, will children need? Um, my final quote is from Enrique Peñalosa. 
Um, and uh, I was lucky enough to meet him uh, earlier this year. So there's me trying and completely failing to look um, as authoritative and distinguished and generally <laughs> presidential um, as, as he is. Um, uh, it was an interesting conversation. Um, but you can see the quote. It's a, a quote that maybe uh, is, is familiar for some of us. It was referenced, for instance, in the, um, the uh, Demos report that came out a few years ago called Children Make Places. Um, I'm, I'm partially, the reason for including me in the quote isn't just because I, I like to show people that I've met interesting people. Um, it's, it's because, um, he, so he said that in 2004. I wrote a paper and, and gave a talk to, to some people, um, the title of which was There's a Salmon in My Street in about 1998, 1999. Now, I'm not claiming that Enrique Peñalosa stole that metaphor from me. Um, and in any case, I stole it from Mayor Hillman. So it kind of doesn't really matter. But um, I, at least I can claim a, a, some partial ownership of that last quote. And I think that last quote is quite a good uh, point on which uh, for me to shut up. Um, and for, for, for the first of my fellow speakers to start, um,